0: Welcome to the Melinda Eitson Show. I'm Melinda Eitsen. Today on the show we have Carrie Silvestri. She's an attorney and a mediator. Attorney mediator who is awesome. And I can speak from personal experience because she's mediated many cases for me. So today we're going to talk about mediation.
1: Carrie, welcome to the show. Hi, Melinda. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're glad you're here. So, for our audience, what is mediation? So in a nutshell, it is a non-adversarial dispute resolution process. It's basically a big settlement day um, in which the uh, people getting, uh, I do mostly family law, whether it's divorce or child custody issues, um, will come to uh, my office, or lately we've been doing more things by Zoom than in person. If they have attorneys, obviously their attorneys would come with them, and we go through all of the issues, any concerns anyone has with the goal is not finger pointing, but Let's get this settled and resolved so people can have conclusion, have a final agreement that day, and then um, it can be over for them and they can move forward. So in your role as the mediator, are you the decision maker or are you a facilitator? I am absolutely a facilitator and make I try to make very clear in the beginning that I'm not a decision maker. I have no authority to do anything. Um, I may give my opinion, but my opinion doesn't matter. But as lawyers, I always joke it's, it's hard for us to not give our opinion because that's what we do. <laughs> but I'm no one's lawyer that day. I'm not a judge. Um, I'm just there to help explore options and help people reach an agreement. So let's use a divorce as an example.
0: In a divorce situation, are the husband and wife in the same room or are they in different rooms?
1: Typically, they're in different rooms. I find it's easier for people to have um, more open communication if they feel like they're in, in a safe place um, where they can say something and, and it's not going to be heard and used against them by the other side. A lot of times when people have been living in conflict for a long time, something that might seem really um not confrontational can come across as a as a poke in the eye when you've been having the same conversations and arguments for years and years and years. Something really simple can sometimes set somebody off. So having people in separate rooms kind of prevents that from happening.
0: As you know, I also serve as a mediator. Yes. Love that role. It's one of the things I do. Um, and one thing I find is often they do not want to see each other even in the hall,
1: right? Correct. Correct. That is true. We're doing more and more zoom mediations, which allows people to stay completely separate. Um, and you can ask people if they want to be in a, one of the breakout rooms, like we call them in, in, on zoom, but typically people are totally separate and they don't see each other. When I was mediating in my physical office uh, before COVID, we'd make sure people came at different times, maybe make sure that people took a, uh, bathroom breaks at different times if somebody needed to go outside and take a walk, make sure that there's no passing in the hallway, because sometimes it could just be, create more conflict and tension Mm -hmm. between folks. So you mentioned COVID. COVID is why we all do
0: a lot of our mediation by Zoom, correct? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That caused us to go, whoa, we have to figure something else out. (laughs) Yes, yes. On the Zoom, are
1: they all seeing each other on the screen? Typically not. The way I set up my mediations is we have different, um, they call like breakout rooms, the meeting rooms on the uh, through Zoom. So, say husband and husband's attorney are in one virtual room. Sometimes they are physically in the same room together and use one computer, or they can even be in different, using different computers from home or office in different locations, and we can still couple them together in a room on Zoom. So only. They see each other and me when I join in that room. And then the other, like say the wife and the wife's attorney can be in their own breakout room through Zoom. And then if we ever need to be together, we can then link all the rooms up together. Zoom (laughs) has lots of capabilities to do that. Do you think it's as effective or do you think it's more effective if we're in person? I have been very pleasantly surprised at how effective Zoom has been. When we first learned about all this a few you know a few years ago and st- kind of stumbled through it in the beginning, and I thought there's no way this is gonna work. We can't do. It. First <laughs> of all, I don't think thing. I can do it. Um, and I don't know how we're gonna have all this stuff online. And I've been amazed at how easy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, as the facilitator, having to to do the zooms and move all the different rooms, um, but just I think it's more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like driving down here for this traffic because I live up in Collin County. Traffic, you know, you can add an hour to your travel time each way. Mm-hmm. People can be paying their attorneys to travel, um, paying a mediator to travel, or people taking off extra time from work to travel, which can lead to problems with picking up kids from school or activities. And so there's a lot of time that we can lose when we travel and meet in person if people don't live close together. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, from a cost standpoint, I think it can be more effective. But just emotionally, I think it's it's been more effective because people can be in their own safe place. We can get in and get out and be done and And there's not the tension of passing somebody in the hallway or getting parking next to somebody and having conflict in the parking lot. Some of the things we had when we do it in person. I
0: had the exact same reaction you did when it first started. I thought, ooh, one reason I think I'm good at this is I can connect with people. How am I going to do that through a computer? But I have the same experience. It has actually been equally, maybe even more effective than in person for certain people. And I think, you know, I do both in person or zoom, whatever they want, but I do think it's surprisingly been good. And in one of my cases where I was representing the client, I wasn't the mediator. My client said, Oh my gosh, if I had not had my dog next to me all day, I never could have gotten this done. And I never thought about that before Mm -hmm. the comforts. The comforts of home, including our pets, mm-hmm. could really help somebody stay emotionally
1: stable enough to get through the mediation. It's interesting. I never thought about it that way, but in most of my Zoom mediations, there'll be a dog barking in the background, <laughs> you see the little face walk by. And it is it is a comfort for people to be in their own environment, and have control mm-hmm. over their own environment. Um know their own schedule and be able to take because anytime they can still say I need to take a break Um, I want to talk with my attorney and I just say fine and I just leave that mediation room or that that breakout room and go to a different zoom room (laughs) and and there's a chat feature so I can say just you know let me know when you need me send me a message through zoom and I'll come back in or so it's it's been it's been much easier and smoother than I ever thought it would be. So the only downside I've seen to Zoom
0: is sometimes there's other people in the room and nobody has told me that. Have you had that experience?
1: (laughs) Not that I know of. That doesn't (laughs) mean it didn't happen. But I will say, and I had a concern about that as well, but that happens in in in-person mediations too. You can step out of the room and then next thing you know, somebody runs out and makes a phone call or they're texting Mm -hmm. somebody and you can still have those outside influences in in a mediation where it's in person or it's virtual yeah that's the truth isn't it so
0: why is mediation effective why don't the lawyers just work it out between themselves or send an offer on right in writing why is mediation so popular and effective
1: I think there's lots of reasons I as a practicing attorney for a lot of years now I'm I'm really just focusing on mediation Um, I know that sometimes people need the clients need to be heard um, and when you go through your attorney and then your attorney's negotiating with the other attorney, I think things can get lost in translation or it becomes business. Because as a lawyer, I'm trying to efficiently get the case resolved. And so if I'm talking to you as the other lawyer and we're just trying to negotiate, we're talking like lawyers, right? And we're just getting it done. I take the whatever the proposal is or the agreement back to the client and it's very businesslike and they sign it and then the business of the divorce, whatever, is, is resolved. Sometimes there are just there's conflict that that clients need to talk about. Sometimes they just need to be heard. Sometimes they can't hear something through their own lawyer or they think that their lawyer, there's things the lawyer can't say without sounding like they're not on their side. It's hard to kind of, as a client, you want your lawyer to tell you what you want to hear sometimes. (laughs) And you maybe just need somebody else to tactfully help you see things differently Mm -hmm. or push a little bit to make it, to to accept some things maybe you don't want to accept, if that makes sense. so when you have, also I think there's, there's a, I don't want to say a pressure, but there's a feeling of, well, today's the day. Today we're going to get it mm-hmm. done. If attorneys are negotiating, that can take days, weeks, months to get things resolved. If you have your mediation day, you know that Wednesday is the day. We've had, planned it several weeks in advance, and we're going to sit down and we're going to get it done. And we have this time window, mm-hmm. and it will be done.
0: I agree. I think focus of the day is powerful. The lawyer has set that time aside. When the lawyers are trying to go back and forth, they're busy on other cases. So that isn't always quick. Uh, So focus for the lawyer and the client and the expectation that we're going to reach settlement that day. I also think that being able to communicate the why behind the offer is very powerful in mediation. And when you just receive a piece of paper, you don't know the why behind that offer.
1: Right, right. And I think sometimes, and I see this in in mediation, I try, to, I try to be respectful of things that need to be kept confidential, but also very open and transparent. When I'm negotiating with people, I will say, I want you to understand that this is the intention of whatever I'm about to say, or I know you're not gonna like what I'm going to say to you, but this is why I think this actually in the long run is the best thing for you. So, and it comes through my filter, right? And I say, and I don't have a, a vote in the outcome. I'm, I have no interest in the outcome. If the case is settled or not, it, it doesn't make any difference to me. I want, I tell people, I want your case to be settled for your benefit, not for mine. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a reason for this. And if you can, we can understand the reason behind the way this is going, what the intention is, then people sometimes can hear the offer through a different lens, a different set of ears. And it can be effective. And
0: and mediation is confidential between us and the rest of the world, meaning if there is ever a trial or a hearing in this case, if it doesn't settle, nobody can say, hey, Sally Sue, you made a better offer in mediation than you're asking for at the court.
1: Right. Or even say, well, in mediation, you said you would do this or that, and now you're saying you won't. Yes. So it gives us the freedom to explore all options, every possible option, every possible outcome, and then people can pick and choose and and come up with sometimes some really creative solutions. And I've been amazed sometimes you walk into a case, you think, oh, this is where it's going to go. We're going to have one, two, three things happen and you end up with ABC on the complete (laughs) other side. And, And that's because when you look at it on paper, you know, we have an idea of what a divorce should look like, but when people talk about what their interests are and their values are, you can get a completely different outcome that that the clients think is wonderful Mm -hmm. because it's their life and they know what their needs are and what their extended family is and what their obligations are.
0: So the law and the judges are very strict about that, that anything said in mediation is sacrosanct. We're not going to ever talk about it, but you mentioned that you can repeat from one room to the other.
1: You can repeat some stuff. Is there any rules about when you can or can't? I always... In the beginning, when I'm introducing myself to to the clients and also to the attorneys, I say, I'm going to presume that anything we talk about, I can use at my discretion, if I think it's helpful, in the other room. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go in there and say something that's going to set somebody off or go, oh, you wouldn't believe how crazy she is. Mm -hmm. I mean, that wouldn't be helpful, but I will say... I'm going to presume that anything we discuss in here, I can use as necessary in the other room if I think it's going to help. If somebody needs to hear something, if you don't want me to share something, then tell me, and I'll be sure to not do that. Um, and that happens. There's times when, when um, an attorney will say, well, I want you to go. You can stay in the room and hear what we're talking about, but it doesn't leave this room. And then sometimes you know, lawyers may need a little help getting their clients to hear something. And so they want a second voice from the mediator or sometimes they just want to, it's just quicker to have that conversation in front of me rather than me having to leave the room, come back 10 minutes later. And we just, and if they say don't share it, then I don't share it.
0: I like to be in the room. As a mediator, I do not like getting kicked out.
1: (laughs) I agree. I agree. I think there's a lot of benefit, like I said, because of all these things that go on behind the scenes. If I can understand what's happening, I can help move things forward. If I don't know and I'm just pushing paper back and forth, I'm not resolving any conflict, and they can do that without a mediator. Yeah.
0: But they do have attorney-client privilege, so if they want us to step out, I tell them I will not have my feelings hurt. I will just go type on your mediated settlement agreement. (laughs) But I think it's more effective if they'll let me be in the room more than not. I agree. So our goal of the day, as you mentioned, is to settle everything. And the mediator types up the mediated settlement agreement live while we're all still there or while we're all still on the Zoom. And we all sign it. And if we're on Zoom, we sign it by DocuSign, right? Yes. Before we get off the Zoom. That's the goal. That's the goal, yes.
1: And if we do, if we sign that... Is it binding? It's 100% binding and irrevocable. And the Texas Supreme Court told us that a few years ago that once we have a mediated settlement agreement, we have a mediated settlement agreement. We can't get out of it.
0: So the husband can wake up
1: the next day and have
0: buyer's remorse. Too bad. Yes. The wife can wake up the next day and call her a lawyer and say, get me out of it.
1: Yes, There's you're entitled to judgment based on that agreement. That settlement agreement is then put into a divorce decree or whatever your final court order will be. Um, Then the judge signs that, so you have that that next step that needs to be done. But the terms of the settlement agreement are binding and irrevocable. So they should only sign it if they really can live with it. Absolutely. But the
0: great news is their spouse is not going to get to get out of it tomorrow. Correct. When they change their mind. Correct. So that's one of the values. And that's only true for mediation, really. Yes. If you solved it between the (laughs) lawyers, they could change their mind until a judge has signed the decree.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So that's pretty powerful.
1: Yes, and there's a, this puts a lot of value into the settlement process, and it shows that the courts really value mediation as the dispute resolution process mm-hmm. and gives us finality.
0: Do you ever have people who don't have lawyers call you and say, hey, well, you mediate for us. We, neither of us have a
1: lawyer. Yes, we get those calls, and sometimes it's people who don't really know what mediation is when we explain the formality of the process and that a mediator cannot do your legal work for you. I can't draft your divorce decree. I can get the settlement agreement, but then I can't go be your lawyer after the case. Then they maybe a lot of times people will second guess and say, oh, maybe I do need a lawyer and then we'll come back to mediation because as the mediator, I am the mediator. I am nobody's lawyer. You can't draft the petition
0: for divorce and file it. You can't draft the decree. So what's the difference between the mediated settlement agreement and the decree?
1: So the mediated settlement agreement um, is a binding agreement, and so there's certain language in it that needs to be in there to make it binding. And I typically have a – and before mediation, I'll send to the attorneys, this is my form part of the mediated settlement agreement, which is kind of the boilerplate that goes with everybody. But then we have the terms of the actual settlement, whether it's division of property um, or assets or debts, house, we have to sell Certain things, what about kids and custody and child support and all that? Those specific terms go into the the mediated settlement agreement, and it can be kind of shorthand. Sometimes our settlement agreement is three or four pages. Your divorce decree may be 40 or 50 pages because the law requires, the family code requires certain language be in a divorce decree in order for it to be binding. Um, And then the law just says certain things have to be said in a divorce decree. And in our settlement agreement, we'll say shorthand of, as per the Texas Family Code, and then say what it's going to be, but we don't go in and spell out page after page of all that statutory language. So the MSA is the term sheet. It's one
0: way to think about it from a deal perspective. The decrease, exact same terms, just all the long legal language. Yes. Yes, So not a new deal. But as the mediator, we don't draft anything but the mediated settlement agreement. Right. If somebody did come and they don't have lawyers and they say to you, hey, how does child support work? Are you allowed to tell them things like that if they don't have a lawyer?
1: I typically will can refer Are you talking about if we were like in person, someone was calling me, or if we were in the mediation? No, you're in the
0: mediation. So the question <clears> of how much legal advice can you give someone who doesn't have a lawyer
1: as the mediator? I... I think I can s- kind of dance around a little bit by saying <laughs> the Attorney General says what child support is. We can look on the Attorney General website and it explains, because there's a formula to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, and the Attorney General has a, a Attorney General child support calculator that you can put in some numbers and it'll tell you what that is. So sometimes it's easier to just guide somebody to let them look at that and come up with their own answer. Because those I think is a very safe uh, tool to mm-hmm. refer someone to the Attorney General mm-hmm. website, because. Good answer. That's where we are, um, and then they can kind of educate themselves that way.
0: How would you recommend what, based on what you see as the mediator? How can people prepare for mediation,
1: as the clients or as the attorneys or both?
0: <laughs> anyway, anyway, all of the above. Anyway, yeah, all the
1: above. So I think the most important thing when it's when you know it is your settlement day as the client, the husband, the wife, the mom, the dad, whatever your role may be, is to be um, to come in open-minded um, and to know that you have complete control over the outcome. I like to say that in the beginning. People can tell people are very anxious and nervous. Who's this lady and what's she going to make me do? And I say, <laughs> it's not It's not my life. These aren't my kids. You have complete control over the outcome by simply saying, no, I will not agree to that. And then it doesn't happen. If you go to court and you tell the judge, no, I'm not going to do that. The judge says, well, yes, you are because I'm the judge <laughs> and this is what's going to happen. So there is... Um, I think that there's some comfort in that. You know, Mm -hmm. no one's going to force anything on you. So I would have encouraged someone to be open-minded, be willing to listen, and also be willing to be very honest with your mediator and with your attorney. Because what I don't know, I don't know all of the history. I don't know what your... Uh, maybe what your culture is or your values are. And if you don't tell me, I may be making assumptions. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good to be prepared to know um, what you're – on well, the financial piece, have all the information you need, have all of your account numbers that you need, have all of your credit card numbers, have the all the legal information, the property description for your house, all of that. If you have a business, have all those business documents. And don't be bringing them for the first time. Everybody needs to have had all the information. When we get there, we don't want to spend – of our mediation time and doing the discovery, um, the legal term of discovery, when we're exchanging information, you want to have that information, hopefully the the attorneys or the clients even can agree on the value of certain things before we get to mediation, so we're not wasting that time. Um, Because in in a six or eight hour mediation, when we're trying to get everything written up in that same timeframe, We don't want to waste time doing things we can do before we get there.
0: Yes. So I find it's very common that they haven't quite done all of the information (laughs) gathering or exchange of information. And instead of using our dedicated day to negotiate, we're spending part of our dedicated day to gather that. So I I try to normalize that for people when it happens because it happens almost every time. Mm -hmm. But ideally, they've done that the day before. I mean, if I could give a practice tip to lawyers out there, Put two hours on your calendar the day before mediation that you're going to get, you know, the latest balances because yes. we do want updated balances. Maybe the balances they had are months old, you know. So put two hours on your calendar the day before to say, hey, client, do a snapshot of all your accounts and send them to me so that that's not having to happen live. Yes. You know the other side wants that information. Right. So send it to them.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Or or bring it already done. I mean, I've had mediations where we're sitting there, and someone has five or six credit cards, and they're literally on the phone calling each one to get the current balance if they if they can't get it on their phone or their computer or anything. This was an hour that we just didn't yes. need to spend. Yes, paying two lawyers and a mediator. Yes, something you could have done last night. Yes, or- and at least that
0: could be done in mediation. What's harder is if there's an asset that needed to be valued. Yes. So give some examples of that.
1: Um, sometimes our resident, our house, if we have a primary residence or even a secondary residence, what is the value of that? And sometimes folks can just agree. Yes, we just want to use the appraisal, the tax appraisal mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. And if you agree to that, that's fine. Uh, sometimes we'll go out and hire someone to do an appraisal uh, for, for property value. Um, more significant is a, a business, if we have a privately owned business. Um, we need to have that valued as well so that we can know and and what is the equity that somebody has in that? What's the partnership and and how do we value that? And can it be valued? And Mm -hmm. so we're not trying to spend three or four hours solving that mystery in mediation as well. Because then, I mean, it can be done, but then you end up having to come back for a second or third day of mediation Mm -hmm. and it's just not terribly efficient when it could be done in the beginning. Kind of the push-pull is sometimes they
0: have intentionally not hired somebody to value the business because it's going to be so expensive and they're hoping they can just agree on a number of mediation, but sometimes they can't. And then we do have to say, well, let's pause mediation, go hire somebody to do that business valuation and we'll all come back. So I understand why it happens sometimes is those are, some of those are expensive. It's not expensive in my opinion, to get your house appraised. Right. It's 500
1: bucks. Right. Very I mean, nominal. Go do cost.
0: it. Right. I agree. I agree. <laughs> do not spend hours of mediation fighting about the house value right. when you could have spent $500 and it doesn't take that long to get it done. A couple of weeks. Right. You're going to have the number from right. a professional. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that does kind of make me mad when people come in and they're like, here's the value of my house. I'm like, what's that from? That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we paid for it five years
1: ago. That's not like, how well, works. that may not
0: be it. And then they're so. like, that's what the tax rolls say. And they, you know, they're thinking, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. The, some of the tax rolls are catching up in mm-hmm. the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but not all. Right. Sometimes it's ridiculously low. Yes. <laughs> and we're all like, you know, that's not really mm-hmm. the value. <laughs> so it is better if they would take some time, at least on the easier things, or if they know we're never going to agree on the value of that business, just go ahead and hire somebody to yeah, do you
1: it. Yeah, get it valued.
0: And they could hire somebody jointly to do but, it, or they could each hire their own. Mm-hmm. I prefer jointly because why pay two people to right, do it? Right. And if you get on the same page about hiring the joint person, maybe everybody will have confidence in that person.
1: So how long does mediation typically last? How long is the day? So as mediators, we talk about our half day mediation or a full day mediation, a half day being four hours and full day being eight hours. I don't like those, that language. I think it takes as long as it takes. Um, and I think sometimes coming in, people think, oh, well, we'll be done in three hours. It'll be really quick. And then, you know, it could go on for late into the night. I, my personal boundary, my new, my experience having practiced so much family law and then taking a break and coming just into the mediation uh, world, I think that a long day doesn't lead to a good outcome. I think people are exhausted. I mean, I know as a mediator that I'm tired after doing it for eight or 10 hours, but if it was your family and your business and your career and your your whole future that you're trying to do, and it's 10:30, 11 o'clock at night, that doesn't seem like the best time to make, Mm-mm. to make something that's a, a decision that is so significant and impacts Mm-mm. you and your family for a long time. So I think I'm comfortable doing, um, a series of, of shorter mediations. Some people also can't process that much information. Some people just get tired. Mm-hmm. Some people have, you know, kids that gotta pick up from school or pick up from childcare. Mm-hmm. So forcing something to fit into a mold that doesn't work for you is not necessary, mm-hmm. especially in this age of Zoom, where then we can just pick up where we left off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when people do need to gather some more information, like you're talking about whether it's an appraisal or a value on something, and we just say, let's just take a break and come back. Mm-hmm. And there's ways we can do that without losing the progress that we made. We can do a partial settlement agreement where we say, well, we've, say we have 10 things we need to resolve and we've resolved seven of them so far. Let's get that nailed down and we can come back and just mediate these, the, the mm-hmm. remaining three. Um, some people are comfortable with, with doing that. Some people say, no, I want it to be a package deal. And there's some risk in that. Will somebody change their mind when we come back? And, you know, that is a risk that you take, but you also run a lot of risk of, of having a 12 or 14 hour mediation that everyone's going to make a, an agreement that they don't like. And maybe make a mistake. Make big mistakes because yeah. everyone's exhausted mm-hmm. and the lawyer's ready to go home mm-hmm. and the mediator is trying to type stuff up. And I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I'm with you 100%.
0: Uh, I never intend to be late into the night, and the times that it has happened, it's always because we thought we were almost there, Mm -hmm. and it just, the time just kept getting away from us, or people would get off on some strange tangent, and we couldn't quite, and I just kept thinking, we're almost there, we're almost there, but my, that isn't my preference, and I've had many cases where we did several sessions, separated, sometimes by a week sometimes by a month just depending on the needs of the case and in my experience there wasn't a lot of backsliding that's what people worry about mm-hmm. oh we're going to backslide we got to get them signed up while we have them but in my experience in those instances we did not have a lot of backsliding and people felt more confident in the decisions they were making yes so i think culturally we need to be you know open to that
1: I agree. And I'll, I'll even say that in my experience, when we have the longer mediations that go later into the night, people start coming up with new things to, to worry about. <laughs> exactly. Eight, nine, 10 o'clock, suddenly we're talking about something we've never discussed. Exactly. And I said, as mediator, this is the first time I'm hearing about this and it's nine o'clock. We're, we're not going to mm. get into that because that's another three-hour conversation. And I'm like, well, then I'm putting my opinion in and now at something that maybe has value to them and we need to discuss. But having a 14-hour mediation isn't, I don't think is the right solution. Let's stop and come back you know, in a week or as soon as we can and set aside a certain amount of time and, and do that.
0: One thing I've talked a lot about on this show is collaborative law. And everybody who's ever watched my show knows I love it.
1: Um, what's the difference between mediation and collaboration? So they're very similar and they're also very different. Collaborative law is a is a formal process that you opt into. The Texas Family Code tells us that we can opt into the collaborative process. There's a series of Uh, of rules and documents that have to be signed to give the entire process um, confidentiality. Um, In mediation, it tends to be a one-time, or maybe you have two sessions, a settlement day collaborative process is a series of meetings that Our uh, settlement all the way throughout as opposed to just one day We can do mediation in a collaborative case if a collaborative case gets stuck you're close to the end But we can't reach an agreement. I've mediated those I've been an attorney and done me as an attorney been in mediation with collaborative cases and we take our collaborative team or collaborate all of our collaborative Information we sit down we try and mediate using a similar process to regular mediation but in the- we use mediation and litigation cases to avoid going to court as well. Mm -hmm. So, And that is a one-day settlement that only the mediation process is confidential where in collaborative, the entire process is confidential as the Family Code gives us that protection.
0: In either model, is there any circumstance
1: where one lawyer can represent both people? There's no scenario in which one lawyer can represent both people in any process at all, <laughs> at all. That's a big confusion. It is. It is. And and people think, well, but if we agree to everything, then why can't we just hire one attorney? And I've had people call my office when I was practicing and, and say that. And I say, we can do it that way, but I am your attorney. And then mm-hmm. your spouse doesn't have an attorney. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out and try and sabotage your agreements in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I I can't give them legal advice. I can't work for them if they want me to make changes, they have to come through you. I can't have communication with that person.
0: I know, Carrie, that you went to the Harvard Mediation course. Tell me just a tip you learned
1: from there. Okay, so the Harvard Mediation training was a week-long training um, up at Harvard University. I went in 2018, so it's been about five years, and it was fantastic, really eye-opening. What I, what they spent a lot of time talking about is not just mediation itself, but um, as a mediator, the role of active listening and empathy. So we're not just like a messenger pigeon taking you know one offer back to the other room and then, so this is what I think about that, and then carrying it back and forth. It's actually, what we learned is that people, when you go to mediation with all the, that you're carrying on your shoulders and in your mind, people want to be heard. They want to tell the mediator and maybe have their lawyer even hear differently, whether it's their story, whether it's their feeling. They want to be heard and then they want to be understood. And that true, is true empathy. is not just listening and going, oh, let me take this back to the other room, but they want to be heard and understood. And as a mediator, when you truly understand the reason behind what they're saying, it opens doors to creative problem solving. Well,
0: on that note, I will say thank you for being here and thank helping so us much. to understand more about mediation, Carrie. <laughs> we really appreciate thank it. Thank you. This has been a real honor. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Okay. Our tip for the day. Most cases settle. The statistic we hear a lot is 85% of cases settle. So, if you're a party in a lawsuit or the lawyer, think about approaching everything with that in mind. Most likely, you're going to be needing to persuade the other side to do what you want. So, don't hit the war bell because that isn't going to help you get what you want. And most likely, you're not going to be in trial. You're going to be settling. So be thoughtful about how you can be respectful in your approach and mediation is an opportunity to do that. Thanks so much for being here on the Melinda Eitzen Show. If you want to suggest anything you'd like to hear, please contact us at melinda at
1: d-elaw.com. Carrie, how do people find you if they want to? Well, I am in uh, Allen. My office is in Collin County. Uh, my website is com, And my email is carrie, C-A-R-I-E with one R, at com. Thanks for watching.